Hello, this is not the sermon that I preached on Sunday the 5th of June. Well, it is. It's a re-recording because, um, for whatever reason, the sermon wasn't recorded. And I thought, for those who are out in crash or Sunday school or life group leaders who might want to listen back, I should probably re-record this. So, this is Pentecost Sunday sermon from Psalm 86. So let me read to you Psalm 86 and then we'll dive in. Hear me, Lord, and answer me, for I am poor and needy. Guard my life, for I am faithful to you. Save your servant who trusts in you. You are my God. Have mercy on me, Lord, for I called you all day long. Bring joy to your servant, Lord, for I put my trust in you. You, Lord, are forgiving and good, abounding in love to all who call to you. Hear my prayer, Lord. Listen to my cry for mercy. When I am in distress, I call to you, because you answer me. Among the gods there is none like you, Lord. No deeds compare with yours. All the nations you have made will come and worship before you, Lord. They will bring glory to your name. For you are great and do marvellous deeds. You alone are God. Teach me your way, Lord, Excuse me, that I may rely on your faithfulness. Give me an undivided heart that I may fear your name. I will praise you, Lord my God, with all my heart. I will glorify your name forever. For great is your love towards me. You have delivered me from the depths, from the realm of the dead. Arrogant foes are attacking me, O God. Ruthless people are trying to kill me. They have no regard for you. But you, Lord, are a compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness. Turn to me and have mercy on me. Show your strength on behalf of your servant. Save me, because I serve you just as my mother did. Give me a sign of your goodness, that my enemies may see it and be put to shame. For you, Lord, have helped me and comforted me. Let me pray. Um, Lord, in this sort of artificial setting, pray that you would um, give me, well, Holy Spirit, would you speak through your word? Lord, we thank you for Psalm 86. Thank you for what it will teach us about uh, the Holy Spirit and about you, Lord Jesus, and about you, Heavenly Father. So pray this would be uh, fruitful uh, for your gospel and your kingdom. And we ask that in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I'd like to ask you a question. What would you say is the most important day in history? You know, we've just had the Platinum Jubilee holiday. You know, some might say that, particularly if you're a royalist, that whenever the Queen was enthroned, that was a pretty significant day in history. You may think of other ones like 9-11, you know, the end of World War Two when the Berlin Wall came down. There there are lots of other options, aren't there, as for the most important day in history. Or perhaps you don't even think about those bigger picture uh, history. You think of personal history and you think of uh, maybe your birth, your wedding, you know, the birth of a child, the death of a loved one. Well, we think about all those different important days, but this morning or in this uh, message, we're considering one of the most important days in the history of the world, one that has completely shaped the world we live in today, and that is the day of Pentecost. So just a wee bit of context is probably helpful. Uh, Pentecost was a Jewish celebration that took place 50 days after Passover. Pentecost comes from the Greek word 50, and it took place at the end of the Feast of Weeks, you know, a time of celebration of the barley harvest, you know, the first the first fruits of the Jewish New Year. So all the Jewish people 
would gather together to celebrate and give thanks to God for their ancestors' deliverance from Egypt and God's provision of the harvest. So they should remember two things, God saving the people and then how he provides them with food. And it's on this day in Acts chapter 2 that God fulfilled his promise that he would pour out his Holy Spirit on on all nations, that all nations would come to know uh, the Lord, creator of all the universe. And this pouring out of the Holy Spirit made previously timid and terrified disciples as bold as lions. You know, whenever you think about uh, 50 days prior to this, you know, they wouldn't have been seen near Jesus, let alone profess him as Lord. You know, they, they, Peter, for example, told lies uh, to women and children to, to say that he did not know Jesus. So the Holy Spirit is the answer. How the, the church is here as we know it today. Because the, the Holy Spirit was poured out and has impacted the lives of believers in you know, seemingly ordinary ways. But when we think about them, they really are extraordinary. And we're going to do that by looking at, well, I suppose it's sort of, this is more of a topical message. Because we're going to look at a king, you know, tenuous link to the Jubilee, obviously. Uh, we're going to look at King David's prayer in Psalm 86. And since this is a wee bit more of a topical sermon, we won't necessarily work through the psalm verse by verse, but we'll try and draw out how the Holy Spirit works in the life of a believer. So with all that being said, let's look at the first way we see the Holy Spirit at work in the life of a believer, which is, point one, the Holy Spirit directs us in our distress. The Holy Spirit directs us in our distress. You'll have noticed whenever we have the psalm read to us that this is a prayer of David and you'll have picked up that David was in trouble and he was very aware of it. So if you look at your Bible, you'll find in verse 1, he says, Hear me, Lord, and answer me, for I'm poor and needy. Then in verse 2, his life needs guarding. Guard my life, for I'm faithful to you. Save your servant who trusts in you. Then in verse 3, 6 and 16, he is asking God for mercy. Then in verse 7 we read, When I am in distress, I called you because you answer me. Then in verse 14, Arrogant foes are attacking me, O God. Ruthless people are trying to kill me. They have no regard for you. So all in all, it's a really dire situation. You know, A bleak picture is being painted. And whilst we don't know exactly what event in David's life this is written about, there's plenty of examples in 1 and 2 Samuels um, that, you can, that you can see. I suppose if you come and you're not a Christian and you're sort of listening in, the good thing we find whenever we read the Bible is that it's filled with real life people with real life problems, people who are in genuine distress. So it's not detached from the life we live now because, you know, as you read this, either currently or at some point in your life, you will relate to being in distress. Now, hopefully, you know, it won't be the way David's experiencing here where people are trying to literally kill you. But this reality that, you know, it feels like the world, the flesh and the devil are against you. That is very often our lived experience, isn't it? So if you think the Bible isn't relevant to your life, you probably need to take a closer look because it is jam packed of relevant things for us today. So what does David do in the midst of this dire situation? Well, It's obvious, really, when you read the text. He prays. This is a prayer of David. You can see throughout the passage. So in verse 1, hear me. Verse 3, I call out to you. 
in verse 6. Hear my prayer. Again in verse 6, listen. I could keep going, but you get the idea. He prays. And just as a wee reminder, David is the king. This is the, the person in Israel who had the power, the money, the soldiers, the resources to do something about his enemies and problems. You know, he's he's been anointed by God. He's been set apart by God to be the king. And what does he do? He stops and he prays. So for the people of Israel, as they read this, they could le- learn a valuable lesson. If the king prays, then we should pray too. Because if someone with all this power and all the resources at his fingertips prays, then you should as well. Because let's be honest, you don't have the same power and the same resources as King David did. And this is the work of the Holy Spirit. He directs us to pray. If you've ever felt a nudge or desire to pray, that isn't you sort of stirring up that desire to pray. It is the Holy Spirit encouraging you to speak to your loving Heavenly Father. If you're anything like me though, we'll try literally anything else. Once all other options have been exhausted, then we'll pray. You know, I wish my attitude to prayer was more like my attitude to my car. You know, if my car breaks down and stops working, I have nothing in my locker to pull out. I simply and immediately cry out to a mechanic to help. If only that were true in my other distresses in life. If the moment I was under pressure or faced a challenging situation, I would cry out to my loving God in prayer. The thing is, without the Holy Spirit, we'd never be directed to pray. In my distress, I need to be directed to pray and I need to be directed to God. Unfortunately for us, that is the Holy Spirit's role in the life of a believer. He directs people to God. Now, he does this in two ways, and the first one will sound a bit strange, but the first way he directs us to God is by directing the believer, King David in this example, to consider themselves. So the first way we're directed to God is by considering ourselves, and then secondly, we are to consider who God is. So firstly, let me explain that, because that sounds a bit confusing. Firstly, by considering ourselves. Notice with me uh, how David views himself. Verse 1, poor and needy. Verse 2, save your servant who trusts in you. Verse 3, have mercy on me, Lord. Uh, Verse 11, teach me your way, Lord, that I may rely on your faithfulness. Give me an undivided heart that I may fear your name. Verse 13, you have delivered me from the depths, from the realm of the dead. So just to clarify what we've just read, the most powerful man in the country in these verses recognizes himself as poor, needy, a servant in need of mercy, calls out to God all day long, needs teaching, recognises that his heart's divided, and finally is someone who has needed God's rescuing in the past. Now this isn't exactly the most impressive self-assessment, is it? You know, if you went to a job interview, you know, whenever they ask you what your weaknesses are, imagine saying to them, well, I'm poor and needy. I constantly need help. I need teaching. And I I need to be saved whenever circumstances get difficult. You know, I imagine if you went to, to Steve or some of our other sort of business gurus for help on your interviewing or on your CV, he'd probably say, you know, do not say those are your biggest weaknesses. Say something like, uh, my biggest weakness is I work too hard or I care too much. Be- because it, it seems really mental, doesn't it? 
is this really the Holy Spirit's work to, to make us have a real low view of ourselves? Because if you're a Christian, you're probably thinking, I think this is poor mental health. This, this seems like Christians being miserable. How can this be the work of the Holy Spirit to, to make us feel bad about ourselves? Well, I think, just to say, I think this is the Holy Spirit's work. Because in times of distress, David, in this example, is reminded that if we're looking in ourselves for a hero, we're going to be found lacking. You were on unstable and shaky ground if we think we have the answers in times of distress. To use an illustration of Jonathan Edwards, you know, our best efforts in our life, in our distress, to save ourselves are like a spider's web trying to stop a falling rock. We have no chance. So the Holy Spirit directs us to consider ourselves and our own identity and in doing so it, it, it causes us to look up it causes us to consider the one who's so much greater than us, who can help and who can make a difference. So David goes from unstable ground to rock solid ground. Again, let me read you uh, some verses where we see this, how David is reminded of who God is, how the Holy Spirit reminds David who God is. So in verse 5, you Lord are forgiving and good, forgiving and good, abounding in love to all who called you. Then in verse 7, God hears and answers prayers. Uh, when I'm in distress, I call you because you answer me. Then in verse 10, for you are great and do marvellous deeds. You alone are God. So the Holy Spirit directs David to remember who God is in his prayers because that will give him great confidence that even if he doesn't like the answer, he can trust that it'll be good because it's come from a good and loving God. And, and you'll notice that uh, as David prays, he layers his arguments you know, he, he asks God to answer him based on the promises that God has made to him. Which is a helpful model for us to learn in our prayers, isn't it? But one, one of the key verses, uh, you know, the key reminder really of who God is, is found in verse 15. Let me read it to you. But you, Lord, are a compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness. Hopefully that those sorts of words or phrases will be familiar to you because God reveals himself in the Old Testament time and again in this way. And the place where we first find it is in Exodus 34 when God reveals himself to Moses. Um, and I suppose this might just be helpful for you as you listen to this. You know, Often the culture says this is what God is like and describes someone horrible and awful. But you need to know this is who God is. That your God is compassionate. That your God is gracious. That your God is slow to anger. That the God you worship abounds in love and faithfulness. Perhaps that's all you need to hear this morning. Because in our distress, we need to be reminded of those truths. It's what David needed to be reminded of. Remember who God is and you gain perspective and hope. So for David, he is remembering whenever God was merciful to the people of Israel and bring them out of slavery and into his presence. And you, he's remembering whenever God was faithful to his promises, even whenever his people rebelled and turned against him. You know, David is directed by the Holy Spirit to the moment in Israel's history when God's kindness and compassion was shown to the people of Israel. Which means that for us New Testament believers, the Holy Spirit will continually direct God's people to the way that God has worked in history. 
for us, where we will see God's kindness and compassion shown to us, which of course is the death and the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. The Holy Spirit's job is to bring glory and attention to the finished work of Jesus. So pray that he'll be at work in our lives to glorify Jesus, that people will see us and notice the finished work of Jesus, you know, fueling the way we live. The Holy Spirit's job is much like floodlights at a sporting event. The floodlights aren't there to be looked at, but for people to see the main event. The Holy Spirit directs David and us in our distress to who we are, and more importantly, to who God is and what he has done for us. Which brings me to my next point, and it's the it's a wee bit more brief, this one. The Holy Spirit sanctifies us in our situation. So, let me say that again. The Holy Spirit sanctifies us in our situation. We've already noted at length in the previous section that David is praying in the psalm. And he's praying because he's in trouble. And yet you'll notice that as David prays, he doesn't just pray to get out of this situation. You know, he doesn't just say, Lord save me, amen. He prays that God would sanctify him in the situation and through the situation. Now what do I mean by sanctify? It's a Bible word for being set apart, being different from the world around us. So in the midst of distress, the, the believer in God can live a distinctly different life to those around them. Not just treading water, but living in a way that points to Jesus. The Holy Spirit helps us not to despair, but to depend. The Holy Spirit helps us not to despair, but to depend. That is part of sanctification. Where am I getting this from? You're probably wondering. Look down at verse 11. Teach me your way, Lord, that I may rely on your faithfulness. Give me an undivided heart, that I may fear your name. In the midst of David's distress, he asked for God to teach him how to live the way God wants him to live. Now, we need to remember as well that David is famously described as a man who was after God's own heart. He loved God, and yet he still notices within himself that his heart is divided. You know, there are many times we read in the accounts of his life that he did wicked and evil things. So he recognizes that he needs to be taught to fear God. Which again sounds negative, doesn't it? But fearing God in the Bible means to recognize God for who he is and live accordingly. You know, it's right to be fearful of the sea. It is right to be afraid of a lion. Because you're recognizing that they're dangerous and you have to tread carefully. So part of the Holy Spirit's role in the life of the believer is to teach them to view God correctly and to live in light of that truth. You know, we've, we've seen it already in the psalm that David prays, you know, prayer is a means of sanctification. Prayer shows that we believe that God is powerful enough to do something and that he's loving enough to care. Let me say that again. Prayer shows that we believe God is powerful enough to do something and loving enough to care. You know, another way the spirit sanctifies us in our situation is by teaching us to worship god in the midst of our distress so we see in verse 12 i will praise you lord my god with all my heart i will glorify your name forever so king david in the midst of his distress sets time aside to pray and to worship god i i would not do this you know we've read haven't we that there are literally people out to murder david to kill him he sets time aside to pray, to worship God. This, this is a miracle. This is the Spirit's work in the life of David. In the midst of trouble and calamity, 
stopping and spending time to sing, pray, listen to God's word, choose you believe that God is bigger and better than whatever is distressing you in your life. And the incredible thing is, as we see in these verses, is sanctification brings us joy. And we see that in verse 4. Bring joy to your servant, Lord, for I put my trust in you. Joy isn't dependent on circumstances. It's, it's, a, it's an external thing. It's something certain and anchored. Trust in God, worshiping him, living for him, brings joy because he is the source of all life and goodness. So the Holy Spirit's job is to put that joy, 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 joy down in your heart to stay forever. So if you're a Christian and you've experienced joy in despair, light in the darkness, mercy when you don't deserve it, that is the Holy Spirit applying the truths of the Bible to your heart. That you're loved by the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords who loved you and gave himself up for you. You can worship him. You can trust him because of who he is. Which brings us to our third and final point uh, this morning, which is the Holy Spirit accomplishes God's mission. The Holy Spirit accomplishes God's mission. Let me read to you verses 8 to 10. Among the gods there is none like you, Lord. No deeds can compare with yours. All the nations you have made will come and worship before you, Lord. They will bring glory to your name, for you are great and do marvellous deeds. You alone are God. Now, many commentators mention how the middle of a psalm in Hebrew poetry is the heartbeat of the psalm, the most important part. And it's in this part of the psalm that we see uh, sort of the heart of Pentecost right here in the centre of it. We read about how all the nations will come to worship God and give glory to his name. And the question throughout salvation history would have been, how? Or when will this happen? When will this be fulfilled? Because you know, it was promised in Abraham, Moses, and all throughout the rest of the Bible. And the answer, of course, is Pentecost. The Holy Spirit being poured out and the nations responding to the gospel. So, the nations would never have come unless the Spirit was poured out. You wouldn't, you wouldn't be at church, you wouldn't be listening to this sermon if the Holy Spirit was not poured out. Why do I say this? Let's read verse 8 again. Among the gods there is none like you, Lord. No deeds can compare with yours. Now, whenever we think about some of those significant moments, significant days in history, you, we're, we're mindful where we think of you know, mankind putting man on the moon, the internet, the discoveries of modern medicine, you know, all these incredible feats of humanity's creative ability, their strength, their power, their wisdom, their intellect. By contrast, consider the message of Jesus. A man born in a back alley town in Israel, doing an unimportant trade, born to insignificant parents, taught a message that was ridiculed by, by his peers and by the nation around him, who died a violent criminal's death. The life of Jesus should have faded into obscurity. It should be the end of the story because whenever you read about the life and ministry and death of Jesus, it, it really doesn't scream great deeds, does it? It doesn't make him out to be an incomparable God if you know his teaching didn't even make it out of Israel. He never went to Rome or any of the other major cities of the world. You know, in light of that, 
versus 9 to 10 should be a total fantasy with this backdrop. All the nations you have made will come and worship before you, Lord. They will bring glory to your name, for you are great and do marvellous deeds. You alone are God. In theory, Jesus' life should amount to nothing. And yet, because of the work of the Holy Spirit, because the Spirit was poured out at Pentecost, all the nations are hearing the life-changing news of Jesus. If the Spirit wasn't poured out, preaching does nothing. You know, often I come uh, with sermons and I just feel like I've got nothing. Like if if the Holy Spirit does not breathe life into these words, I might as well pack my bags and go home. Because without the Holy Spirit, only he can do the impossible. Bring the dead to life. Only the Holy Spirit can bring dead men and women to life. You know, this message is Jesus lived a perfect life, died the death we should have died. He then ascended to heaven and sent the promised Holy Spirit, the Comforter, so that this weak message of the cross, the seeming foolishness of the gospel message, would turn the world upside down. You know, if you flick in your Bibles to Acts 2 on the day of Pentecost, we see the impact that Peter's sermon about Jesus had on the people who heard it. So, reading from Acts chapter 2, verse 36, we read, Therefore, let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah. When the people heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the other apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? The Holy Spirit cut people to their heart whenever they heard this message. You know, if you've ever been in a sermon before and it's it's felt like the, the preacher has just shot an arrow directly to your heart. It's like they've followed you during the week. It's like they've been reading your internet history, whatever it may be. That is not the preacher doing that. That is the Holy Spirit speaking directly to your heart. So... As you listen to this, you're not a Christian because you're a parent, but because the Holy Spirit made you alive. You are a Christian because the Holy Spirit did a miracle in your life. He's caused you to give your lives to the Lord Jesus, to be directed and sanctified, to be filled with that promised Holy Spirit. You know, we read at Pentecost on that day, 3,000 people from different towns, cities and nations heard the gospel of Jesus Christ and had their lives transformed. The fact that there's a church in Cardiff today is all because of the Holy Spirit. Because of the Holy Spirit being poured out upon the people of God, meaning that all the nations are hearing and coming and worshipping the God who created them. How could we not want to be a part of this? The same power that infilled the disciples the same power that raised jesus from the dead is in us how could we not want to reach a lost world with the good news of the gospel that has brought dead men and women like us to life and whenever you think about that first pentecost day those timid and terrified disciples bold as lions how can we not pray that god would do a wonderful work in us to be filled with the spirit And to go out and reach lost people with the gospel. Let's pray.